Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. It's another Sunday edition of the Yahoo Sports Hockey Podcast. Justin Cuthbert and the road-weary Julian McKenzie, who made the trip from Ottawa back to his hometown. Hometown? His home in Montreal okay. uh, this morning. Uh, you know, we, we appreciate the effort as always, Julian, to come on every week. But putting in a bit of a ride this morning and dodging any potential snow squalls, uh, even more appreciated, we'll say. Of course, yeah, because uh, I'd much rather this scenario as opposed to me being stuck in Ottawa for uh, I don't know how many more hours. Also, that noise in the background, <laughs> my light off my laptop just fell <laughs> I mean, let's uh, let's let's push through, baby. Let's push through. It's all good. Whatever. You fixed I got it real light right here. It's fine. You fixed it real quick, and uh, we're off and running. Um, tell me a little bit about Canadian Tire Center. It's one of the arenas that I've been able to cover a game at. It's got a little bit of a local community feel, does it not? To say it nicely, that is that is exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. It's like what. Okay, I need to be careful because I feel like if I get carried away here, I might come across as very insulting. Um, but as someone who has never gotten the opportunity before this past weekend to ever cover a game beyond the Bell Center, I am grateful for the experience. And the Canadian Tire Center will always have a place in my heart. But yeah, there were there were some parts that were very, uh, they were needed some updating. That's that's as best yes. as I could really put it with with the Canadian Tire Center. Yeah, the press box is a little bit rickety. Uh, well, not that not that it's gonna like fall or anything, but it's not it's not uh, you know it's not luxurious by any means. But I had the same like it's got a special place in my heart as well because not that like you know I've been to a couple of arenas in my in my uh, professional career here, but I watched playoff game playoff Mark Andre Fleury you know big uh matchup between those two teams when they were uh in the stanley cup hunt what four or five years ago uh so yeah i'll always have fond memories of that and i remember one of my like more prevailing memories of it is like that i mentioned that community feel like people were entering the the arena and they were like getting handed like cupcakes or something like that like it was something like really (laughs) ohl like really different than Scotiabank arena we'll say that like it was it was actually kind of charming that like it felt like a small town was a like everybody from the small town and that's not the case I realized that but that's what it felt like everyone from the small town was going to a big game in Ottawa and it meant a lot at the time so uh, I thought that was pretty cool probably can't say the same with two teams at the bottom of the Atlantic going at it in late February but you know an experience for you nonetheless 
Absolutely. I, I definitely, like, I got that vibe of all the people going in on the day I went to. Just, like, a lot of, like, older people, younger people, all just, like, like, the few people I saw on the lines anyway, like, there were some Sense fans. But the more people piled into the arena, I saw more Canadians fans. I think even in the hotel I was at, like, there were, like, Canadians fans, like, walking out and, like, making the uh, the drive to the arena. Like, it was... It felt like a home game for the Montreal Canadiens. In fact, like I know they ended up winning that game, but uh, yeah, they were they were very well represented at the CTC. But also, uh, I got to ask about the media room. There's a media room at the CTC where there's just carpet and there is a massive stain on the ground, and I'm like, <laughs> yo, yeah, like nah. That's like I right at the front door too, isn't it? There's like one like, like near the back. There might have been. I don't is know, it like a back door? It's a back like, door, but it's like right near the doors. Like you could like, yo, it's you could just see it. And maybe it's a yeah. different one, but like, like it's not it's, underground it, like most of them. Nah, like it's on like the like if you're going into like gate three or like one of the particular gates, yeah. you like walk in and there's like the room like right as you enter, you open it and then like at the far end of it, like it's just this br- massive brown stain that looked like someone yeah. just like yarked on it. I think apparently in the past, like you would have like the press <laughs> conferences there. But like yeah. now, like if you're a media, you could just like hang out and just like write. It's that was like my biggest complaint, essentially. Just kind of like, what is what is this? Like this is this is a little dirty. But also, I'm being nitpicky, you know. Like yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, but it makes. <laughs> I mean, most arenas. Let's put it this way: most arenas do have carpet stains on the carpet because you know a lot of people go through there, and it's not you can't like control everyone. But most NHL arenas, well, they clean the carpet stains. But uh, Ottawa's a bit of a different animal sometimes. God love them, though. Uh, God love them. One more question for you, since you're back yes. from your... Is this the first road trip with The Athletic? This is my first road so trip first with The Athletic on, any outlet. First on assignment, what kind of traveling employee are you? Are you maximizing the per diem? Are you cashing the per diem? What do you... What's the... Are you, like, treating yourself when you're out for dinner on Company Dime? Or are you, are you the guy that's guy. like, hey, I'm only going to use 15 bucks here. It's going right back to you guys. You know what? What kind of what kind of traveling employee are you? So like, I think the only thing I really did in terms of food, I ordered like a medium pizza for myself in my oh, hotel, yeah. and like that came after I had gone to morning skate. Uh, for uh, there was like an avail for the Sens and a morning skate for the Canadians. Which, by the way, uh, I interviewed Chris Weidman a little bit for this story. I ended up writing on him and, and his homecoming and, and how his season's going. And I got to talk to him in like the, the road training room. And he's like doing these like intense stretches with like a resistance band. And he's like, it's one thing to just do it. And then you just like get up and you're like, all right, cool. I'm just going to answer questions. Dude did not break stride. Dude is just like stretching and like is on the ground, like contorting his body in all these different possibilities and like grunting every few seconds and answering questions about being back in Ottawa. Like at one point he, he put the resistance band on his cap and he like brought his leg as close as he could to his face. And he's just like, Oh yeah, you know, uh, it's good to be back in Ottawa. And it's been a lot of good years here in playoff memories. Uh, I had to mention that because that was that was just like very that is a part of the trip that will for sure stand out. But uh, in terms, but I had to do that, and then I had to go back to my hotel room and be part of a uh, student journalism conference uh, called Nash, which happens every year. Uh, when I was a student journalist at Concordia, I got to go and uh, learn from all these great people. 
and uh, well, I guess this is a very early tire pump here. Uh, but I got to kick it with uh, Shereen Ahmed and uh, Matthew Shinetti from TSN. And uh, we talked about our respective journalism journeys and educated the youth. And then after I was tired and went through all of that, I said, Domino's, get me the pizza. So that's as far as it goes. And I, I got gas at one point. And that's pretty much all I had to really worry about. There you go. That's, uh, I mean, there's it's different because like you and I haven't been like, I've I, I've actually had some decent trips with Yahoo Sports, so I shouldn't say that, but I'm not always traveling. But it depends on who you're with. So I went with my uh, old colleague, Sarah Jenkins and Ashley Hufford, and they wanted to go to the nicest places in Newfoundland. And I'm like, I don't even know how we're supposed to like pool all our money together to pay for this nice yeah. dinner, but you guys are going to figure it out. You're my superior. That's great. Like, I'm all for that. But if it's just me, it's Domino's. I think when I was in Canada, I got a little check. <laughs> I, I went across the street and got some Chinese food just to mix it up because I think I was there for three days. But uh, it's a little bit different. When you can be there with people, it's like you can like, you know, you can have nice dinners, take advantage, get a couple beers. But when it's like a solo thing, like like you were on and like I've been on a few times, it's uh, the pizza gets it done and you can focus on work that way. Um, yeah. Go ahead. No, I was Sorry, just I thought... going to say like, no, that's fine. I was just going to say like, that's the one the one regret I have about the trip is that because of the weather conditions, I wasn't able to go in like the night before the game and like give myself like an evening to like really enjoy whatever surroundings were around, or at least get myself like a beer or something like that. Uh, but also like people were recommending me places like shawarma palace and stuff. I mm -hmm. mentioned uh, one of my colleagues and said, yeah, there's like a mucho burrito. And I thought it was just like this unique place. And I was explaining it to like <laughs> one of my friends in Ottawa. And he's like, dude that's like a chain that's not like special yeah. at all go to any food no food court in ontario and get a mucho burrito i think i don't know what the hell that is <laughs> <laughs> it's good though it's good i it's bet good. it is that's great but like i don't know we don't have it in quebec as far as i know so i don't know well many more for you to come and uh you'll be able so. to uh dine on the company dollar a little bit more not that uh i uh advocate for that sort of thing it's funny about chris weidman because it's like good to i mean it's it's nice that you get to interview a player in person because that is few and far between at this point being able to do that yeah but it's nice to know that they have you have their full attention like it's it's kind of awkward sometimes when you're in the dressing room and like they're doing something and you're like do you want me to do this while you're you know doing whatever you're doing or do you want me to just chill for five minutes and then we could talk like sometimes you don't really know exactly what they want but i guess if they're answering your questions uh and stretching that's just two birds with one stone i guess i just gotta add this like i think that might have been my first in-person interview with a canadians player in two years i i and, and like an almost exactly two years because around this time two years ago we were on the cusp of the pandemic. We had no clue what the hell to expect. The second thing, uh, there was this other time I got to talk to Joel Anthony when he was still at the Miami Heat, uh, and he was changing his clothes in a bathroom in a church basement uh, that we actually both uh, go to. Uh, okay. And I was interviewing him for like a community newspaper. That at that point was the weirdest experience I had because it was just like I was just like looking around for him and I, like knocked on this door and in pop and like out pops out this like massive like near seven foot tall dude and he's just like yeah i gotta change clothes and like get to another event so he just like closes the door of just like asking him questions on the other side i always thought that experience would never be top but the chris weidman resistance band stretching experience that is an all-timer for me that was just <laughs> four minutes of straight just 
I don't want to say awkward, but just like, dude just did not care that some reporters hit his face. He was about to get these stretches. <laughs> just, okay. All right. Uh, that, that's what you want to do. That's how it goes sometimes. And yeah, it's been a long time for me. I think it's probably been over two years as we're coming up on the two-year anniversary here of uh, when things completely shut down. Speaking of awkward uh, reporter player situations. Let's go to Here Alex go. Ovechkin. Let's go to Alex Here Ovechkin and and uh, what's happened this week. Obviously, you know, there, there are sports stories that's come out of what's going on in Europe with Russia and Ukraine and at that border and at other borders and involving many countries. Of course, the entire world is involved in what's going on right now, but the sports world does, has a, does have its own stories. And while we're talking about, you know, UEFA taking games away from russian stadiums and you know the possibility of russia not being included when we're talking about the nhl we're talking about alex ovechkin because alex ovechkin is inextricably linked to vladimir putin um you know so much so that putin remains in his profile picture on instagram this is a guy he's vouched for uh putin being the president uh or ovechkin vouching for the presidency of putin uh longtime supporter and advocate so you know, this is Alex Ovechkin might be considered like the the representative in, in terms of you know Putin's list of athletes that are under his wing. Of course, there's the opposite. There are some who are have dissenting pin, opinions, and maybe rightfully so. Are Temi Panarin, and we've seen what can you know what can happen when you go against that regime. Uh, and that are in Artemi Panarin has obviously had some issues related to that, but it does go back to Ovechkin. When we're talking about the NHL and we're talking about what's happening, it goes to Ovechkin. So naturally, he was asked uh, about what's happening in the Ukraine uh, this week, and I don't know really what we could expect. Um, I think we probably got pretty close to what we would expect, where he's sort of sitting on the fence, he's trying to distance himself from it, but also saying, well, this is the president of Russia and I'm a Russian and this is my obligation sort of thing, but that he doesn't want war. He hopes that it ends soon. You and I, like, we don't understand this reality, right? That, that's why I'm like sort of resistant to even talk about it because we don't know what his situation is. We don't know the pressure that's that he's under, the pressure that maybe he was under before, how that's changed over time, where he where the consequences will be for him if he were to dissent. So I, I'm sort of reluctant to go in on this too much, but I'm wondering what your thoughts were after Ovechkin was grilled, Ovechkin gave and did the best he can to try to appease everyone, at least it seems, and maybe the problems with him trying to appease everyone at this point. Yeah, like the two main thoughts I have, the first is I think the fact that he's done uh, one the profile picture which i when you said that it's still him and putin together in the profile picture i had to double check that for myself because i was convinced that if there was any connection between him and vladimir putin just making the subtle change on ig might be enough for him to just be like okay you know what i'm just going to be neutral as possible here and switching that profile picture would be like an easy step to do but he didn't do that Mm -hmm. And while I, I think in so many other instances, like if this was Donald Trump, not to bring Donald Trump in this, but if this was Donald Trump, we would be grilling Alexander Ovechkin for that affiliation. And I understand that people 
you know, they have their views on, on Donald Trump on one side or the other. But the fact of the matter is because of what Donald Trump essentially has represented throughout his, te- throughout his time as president, he would be subjected to grilling for his association. The thing with Vladimir Putin is that, as you brought up, you and I don't really understand. This leads to the second thing. Like, I'm a bit scared for a lot of these people who have like stepped up in recent days and said, and one, not just said like, okay, I mean, I mean, essentially saying like no more war between Russia and Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And could you have imagined if any of those people stepped up and said something directly to Vladimir Putin, considering what's going on uh, in Ukraine right now and how uh, Putin is essentially with the warheads that he sent out and the the carnage that we're, we're seeing in Ukraine right now is a very volatile situation. And for for someone like Alexander Ovechkin, who is high profile in that country, uh, definitely has the connections to Putin that we all know and talk about. Could you imagine if he was in a situation where he just said, nah, like I, 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 I don't deal with Putin anymore and straight up denounces him. And if, he, mm-hmm. if that puts his family at risk, like I, I, this is a weird, unique situation where I think I sort of sympathize with, with Alexander Ovechkin. And I don't necessarily hold it against him that he couldn't say anything. I don't, I think his association with, with Vladimir Putin should very much be under question. And it's something that a lot of people have, brought up as something that's very awkward and very uncomfortable to deal with in the past. And it very much is because Alexander Ovechkin isn't just anybody. He is known as one of the best players in the NHL and one of the more interesting personalities in the national hockey league, which naturally draws people to him, but seeing that he's associated with a man like Vladimir Putin, who is tyrannical. Let's be real here. Mm-hmm. It, that is very uncomfortable to deal with. It's very uncomfortable to manage. And it's one thing for you and I to talk about Vladimir Putin and what he's doing in the Ukraine. It's a whole other thing when Alexander Ovechkin, who is seen as, again, a premier athlete, one of the premier personalities, not just in the game of hockey, but in the, in the country of Russia, to double back on, on someone who he's associated with, to say, to do that and possibly put his family in harm's way it's that's how i see it and maybe it's not the right opinion but i think it's just it's just too volatile of a situation to be uh i i guess to really step up and say something or he could have said it and we could have commended him on his bravery i should add that and it's on him if he would have wanted to do it and if he wanted to do it we i think a lot of people would have really commended him for being brave but i am not going to fault him for not doing that considering the situation if that makes sense no, uh, I'm I'm totally with you. Um, now there are dissenting opinions. Um, what there are dissenting opinions on what a dissenting opinion uh, could have resulted in if you're Alexander Ovechkin and Slava Malamud is a, I believe, former hockey reporter. I'm not sure that uh, uh, he's working in the industry. Not that it matters, but he has a voice and he has some understanding, of course, of what the situation is greater than you and I, and maybe not to the extent of Alexander Ovechkin. However, or I'm, I'm sure it's not. But he said that he doesn't believe. Ovechkin's family would be in any danger if he were to speak out and that his his words would mean something and I'm, I'm and I'm sure they would I mean Alexander Ovechkin's one of the most important athletes 
in Russia, and he's one of the most important advocates of Vladimir Putin, and people blindly will follow Alexander Ovechkin, not that they would be able to see the message if it did dissent uh, in terms of what the messaging is in Russia, because we know that Russian people are not given access to what everyone is saying. I mean, they've been led to believe something uh, that's not true. And we kind of understand that um, with what's going on and what we're able and what we're privy to in terms of information. But, you know, that's an opinion. It might be the right opinion, but is it worth the risk? I mean, if, if you're Alexander Ovechkin and you don't feel safe or comfortable enough that if you spoke out in a certain way that your family wouldn't be affected, of course you wouldn't. I mean, anyone in the position where they can just not say anything to make sure that their family isn't endangered, I mean, they probably take that route. I mean, they might be willing to put themselves in danger, but probably not their loved ones. And and I think that's why we have to be, we have to sympathize a little bit with Alexander Ovechkin. And I'm sure a lot of thought and effort and with public relations into his answers, uh, a lot of saying nothing, which is probably exactly what they wanted to happen. Um, but again, there's there's criticism on both sides because some people don't believe that he would be putting his family in, in jeopardy and and others probably believe that he should be staunchly re- uh, supporting Putin still because he's you know thinks of him enough, I guess, to have him in his profile picture. although, you know, what is what what why did that even happen? Like where was he forced to do these things? Was he coerced to do these things? Like you always have to wonder how this relationship was initiated, how it's evolved, how much pressure there is on, on Ovechkin to have this relationship. Like we just don't understand, and I don't think anyone truly understands, and that's why we got the answer that we got from Alexander Ovechkin. Um, I was listening to the Steve Dangle podcast, I believe, on a Friday, and I think Adam Wilde and Steve and Jesse did a fantastic job sort of explaining some aspects of this and why it probably shouldn't be on Alexander Ovechkin to be the one person that steps out. We've seen a lot of industry take away, like take away the financial streams from Russia in an effort to basically get at the people who are supporting Putin with their financial means. And I think one of those main people, or not one of those main people, one one that's topical for me is Roman Abramovich. I'm a Chelsea FC supporter. And of course, he's a million billion billionaire oligarch in Russia who is one of the main sources or one of the sources of bringing in money and maintaining wealth in Russia. And I think there was enough pressure on him for him to cede control of the football club yesterday. And if he didn't do that, I think Britain or the Federation in England would have just stripped him from the ownership and he would have lost a billion dollar company or a billion dollar organization because of his affiliation with Putin. And that is the important pressure that has to be on um, these important people of influence who are associated with Putin. And I wonder if Dominic Hasek is right. Dominic Hasek came out and said, NHL players from Russia should be suspended. There should be consequences because you have to continue to do your your job or your uh, within your uh, capabilities to put pressure on Putin and Russia if you want to inspire change. And if the if the NHL did suspend all of its Russian players, I mean that would send a message or it'd be at least something that the NHL could do because we're seeing it all across the sports landscape. Now we don't expect them to do that, of course. But yeah, I don't expect I, I wonder what you think about Dominic Hasek, uh, what he said about Ovechkin and maybe his ideas and how the entire sports world is reacting uh, to what's going on. That's 
a really I thought it was a really interesting take from Dominic Koshik when I came across those tweets the other day. Uh, I don't have no clue if the NHL would support that idea of suspending all of its Russian players. I wonder if there would be people, there would be more people like in the position of Artemi Panarin who have spoken out against Vladimir Putin and all of a sudden they find themselves in a situation where they can't play, <clears throat> excuse me, even though they would be against Putin. But I, I'm not, I mean, maybe that's an irrelevant point, but the yeah. whole point is I'm just trying to make is just like, that's just a really intriguing idea. That being said, in terms of how the rest of the world has reacted to basically detaching any ties, selling products or, or having games in Russia, teams pulling out of the KHL. This is just an example of, of people tapping into the idea that money talks. And that is a way to make a country uh, or at least somebody just move and, and not, you know, and just have them change their ideals and change their, their line of thinking. Essentially, it remains to be right. seen if that will fully work. Uh, I hope it does for the sake of people in Ukraine and what's going on. But yeah, it's it's a bit of a difficult situation to maneuver through. I don't know if suspending Russian players is the right idea or if it is the wrong idea. It's just a very interesting situation at that. It's that is really I think that's really an intriguing scenario that was presented. Yeah, I mean, it's not as simple as just isolating them from the rest of the world, right? Like, it's not yeah. like the. the, the, the you can't change what they're doing if you're the NHL or you're UEFA or whatever. But if you continue to isolate, if you cut off all the streams of financial support, it's going to do something. And especially those oligarchs, the people that are making so much money and help run that country because of the money that they bring and the influence that they have, getting at them, and Adam Wilde, I think, made this point, is almost more powerful than anything you could do to Putin. Putin's sort of untouchable because... It, it doesn't affect him financially. He's just the, he's just running a country and he's running, again, a tyranny. Um, but if all the support is lost for him because they're losing money, the Abramoviches and so on and so forth, maybe that's maybe that's the strongest influence here. And we don't you said money talks. It does talk. I mean, it's like the it's the most important the thing. thing. Uh, so, uh, again, this, this is way beyond the pale. Uh, it's clearly has NHL ties, this story, because of Ovechkin and because of the many Russians that play in the league. Uh, but there's no right answer. Um, there's no right answer at all. And hopefully, um, you know, people come to their senses and we figure this out. Um, tough segue. Very but tough, but the, uh, you can do it. The biggest topic in the sports world, not in the global world or global world, in the news world, uh, in sports, in sports radio in Toronto, is Austin Matthews and the potential for him to win the Hart Trophy. Um, I don't think there's any. I don't think there's a better option at this point in the season, to be honest. Um, and that might be my bias shining through a little bit as someone who's watched every minute of Austin Matthews play this year. Uh, but he's the NHL goals leader. Took it back from Leon Draisaitl, uh, very close, obviously, and now fourth in the NHL in points. And there's anything. There's any ever been anything missing from Matthew's game. It's that ability to compete for a scoring title, to put up, you know, prodigious 100 point seasons Uh, that we haven't seen from him just yet. But he's starting to put it together, of course, four points in a crazy win over the Detroit Red Wings, which we'll talk about in a second, uh, certainly helps that. Um, But when I I, uh, first I'll, I'll ask you, uh, what do you what do you think about the Matthews heart campaign? Is it crazy or? Does it make sense at this point? 
I think it makes sense. And I feel like we have to give a lot of play to Adam Wild. We did in the last segment, but he was one of the first to say that Adam, that Austin Matthews might be the best yeah. player in the league right now. And a lot of people kind of dumped on him. I, I admittedly kind of looked at him a little weird, but you see how he's done well on the offensive side, and on the defensive side. Uh, he had that play against the Minnesota Wild earlier this week where he created a turnover and it led to him scoring. You know, when it comes time for him to be nominated for the Hart Trophy and you play the highlight packs for each player, that play is going to be on that highlight pack. That very much could easily be his, the strongest case he could make to win a Hart Trophy beyond whatever statistics are presented at the end of the year. I have to admit, Austin, I mean, I'll say this, uh, and, 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 and I've said it on this very podcast, I considered Austin Matthews to be a top three player in the National Hockey League. It's not a complete surprise for me to see him in the Hart Trophy discussion, but to be at a point where right now he may very well be the favorite, I'm willing to say that right, that right now, but we all know the season is divided in segments. It looked as if at one point in the year, it was going to be a two horse race between Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid for the Hart Trophy. Those two have, have since cooled off. Austin Matthews is having his time right now. There are people in New York who would argue that Igor Shosturkin is probably the guy for the Hart Trophy on top of the Vezina Trophy this year. Uh, I, I'm willing to say that he looks like the favorite right now, but we all know these things are decided after the regular season is over. I believe you have a vote. I don't have a vote. You have a we vote. shall see. We shall see. I'm definitely a member, but uh, they've sort of tightened the parameters a little bit, trying to go a little bit uh, less of a Toronto bias, we'll say. They're just trying to spread out with using 100 writers than all the writers that are in the PHWA. So we shall C- see. We shall see. I got to talk to CJ because CJ dropped on the last CJ show that like he's like, he's like VP of either just the whole PHWA or some thing in the phwa and like i'm like second in second in command behind frank i'm not really sure but frank frank cervelli is the main guy yeah so like i'm not in the phwa i have my thoughts on the phwa if i'm being real but i would like Mm -hmm. to get to a point where i could vote on some of these awards and now that i know someone who happens to be pretty high up maybe i should have a conversation with that i don't know if we want to get to a point if we want to deliver early ballots on this sort of stuff but i'll say this right now it's very fair to say that Austin Matthews is the favorite because of what he's done on the ice and in all facets of facets of the game. But it's also fair to say that there is a lot of racetracks still left to be run. And who knows if Shesterkin could step up and really show everyone. I'm still skeptical on that campaign for the record, just because of the fact that they have Chris Kreider, who is very close to the scoring lead in terms of goals. They have Adam Fox, who should be competing for a Norris Trophy every year. The Rangers, I get, are playing above what a lot of people expected for this year, but it's not as if it's Igor Shosturkin kind of driving everybody on this caravan behind him. I guess I'm more or less thinking about when Carey Price won the Hart and the Vesna, I believe in 2014, 2015. That's basically what the Canadians were. The Canadians did not have superstar players behind Carey Price. Yes, they may have had PK Subban and, and, and Max Pacioretty, but hmm. Carey Price was the reason why they were in the spot that they were in. I think with the Rangers at the very least, like as good as historic it is, I think there are other pieces that have contributed more to that. I think for the Leafs, on the other hand, while fine, they have Marner and a few other guys, I think Austin Matthews is the reason why they're as good as they are 
right now, or, I mean, we'll see how it comes for playoff time because I think that game against the Red Wings kind of gave me a lot of questions about how (laughs) that game and the Canadians game earlier this week, those two games gave me a lot of questions about whether or not the Leafs truly are good enough to win a playoff series this year, no matter who they play against, but they're likely still going to end up with a really good regular season record. And Austin Matthews, I think you could make the argument he is the reason. And if he is the reason, that's good enough for me to, at least right now, say he's the favorite for the Hart Trophy. But that could very well change. Yeah, I mean, I think he's the guy right now. We forget, he finished second in Hart Trophy voting last year. Like, this isn't like, oh, he's never really been in this position. And now all of a sudden, uh, we're going to award him. Yeah, McDavid won unanimously and rightfully so. And that's that's sort of the reason why we didn't really, we don't really compute that, Matthews has been really close. He has been considered the first or second or in that uh, that top of the ballot uh, as early as last year. Uh, and there is a progression to these things. This is a narrative-based award. And I think one of the problems here with the discussion that we've been having or the discussion that others have been having about this is it's like you watch him nightly on a night-to-night basis and you're like, absolutely, yes, he could win. He's been so, so good beyond anything he's ever been, league leader in point in goals, having an unbelievable defensive season and the most points he's ever put up. But then you don't watch him and you're like, well, how could you compare him to what Connor McDavid's doing? Absolutely not. He's not on the same level. He's not that player. But I think because it's a narrative-based award, you have to build the cases for everybody else if you really want to break this down. And I think it's worth doing it. And you started with with Shestyrkin. I think the difference between Shestyrkin and Carey Price is that Carey Price, I assume, was a workhorse that year. Probably played 65 times. Igor Shestyrkin's only played 60% of the Rangers game so far. And to transcend the awards, to go from Vesna to Hart, I feel like you got to be that player that's playing 80% of the starts, like UC Saros this year or Jacob Markstrom. Like, I feel like... To be the MVP, you've got to play in more than 65% of the games. That's just probably, it's probably a requisite. Does it stop him from winning the Vezda? Absolutely not. He's been the best goaltender in the league this year and deserves to win that award. But that's the case against Shesterkin. So who else are we considering? Alex Ovechkin, narrative award. Yeah, everyone wanted to vote for him earlier this year. Like, look, look at this guy, 36 years old, winning the Rocket Richard. Well, he's not going to win the Rocket Richard. And the feel-good nature about Alex Ovechkin, not as feel-good right now. Then you go to the Edmonton Oilers, Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid. They're going to eat each other a little bit, but how does one of them win? Leon Dreisaitl wins the Rocket Richard. Then he probably, yeah, maybe he's ahead of Austin Matthews because the key thing that we're talking about in which Austin Matthews does so well, he didn't do it the best in the league. So how can you make that case? Sure, he can win, but is he going to beat out Matthews? I doubt it. And is he going to be able to beat out Connor McDavid, his own teammate? I don't know. So that leaves us with Connor McDavid. Well, what's going on with the Oilers right now? Like, we got to think about, you know, the fact that Hart Trophy winner doesn't come from a team that doesn't make the playoffs. The Edmonton Oilers yeah. are probably a 50-50 proposition to make the playoffs right now. So in order for one of those Oilers to win, they've got to make the playoffs, probably get into the top three in the division, which means they have to take down either Vegas or Calgary or the Los Angeles Kings. They could do that, sure. But are they going to do it? Are they going to make a case based on what they're doing as a team? I don't think so. And if they have that success as a team, it doesn't seem like it's going to be like last year where Connor McDavid just decides, hey, I really want to get to 100 points in 56 games, so let's just go nuclear and just open it up. That's not what Jay Woodcroft's trying to do. So that leaves us with one more candidate, I think, and that's Jonathan Huberto, who has half as many goals as Austin Matthews, more points. He could win the scoring title, but can you 
can you get 10 more points than Austin Matthews, but have half as many goals and expect to win? Even, you know, you're playing on maybe the President's Trophy winner in the Florida Panthers, but I don't think so. So when you look at all these cases, Matthews in the Selkie conversation, potentially win the Rocket Richard, top three, top four, top five in points, and playing for a team that could finish with a franchise best mark in point total, because they're going to exceed 105 probably, and have maybe one of the top three, four records in the NHL. I think it's pretty clear that Austin Matthews makes as good of his case as any right now, and that could change. But when you break it down and you look at what other people have to do to get that award, I think the clearest path is for Matthews. And and one thing with Jonathan Huberdeau as well that uh, my colleague Dom Lushizen kind of showed a little earlier in the year, I guess at the halfway point, Jonathan uh, Huberdeau's defensive metrics are not that great. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think his like game score... I forget what the GSVA completely stands for, but he shows that every so often for his awards watch. And that is supposed to be like a pretty good indicator of who should really be leading some of these award categories. And, and Huberto wasn't even in the top 10 the last time that they posted that particular stat. Uh, I, that was a guy at first that I thought, okay, because he was leading, uh, I think the points leaderboard at the time, he should be considered. And and if he still continues to play well and the Panthers continue their run, maybe he should still be considered. But with the way that advanced stats has presented itself into the discussion, rightfully so, it's causing us to not just look at points and goals to determine whether or not a guy should be there. And again, it supports Austin Matthews, a guy who's, again, his defensive metrics have been great this year. They've lifted yeah. uh, and 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 he's, he's, he's looked great. And the fact that he's in the Selkie conversation is pretty incredible. We're talking about a narrative-based award uh, to kind of p- agree with my colleagues on the SDP. That is very much a narrative award too, because guys like Patrice Bergeron, we just consider as the best defensive player uh, for a good chunk of time. And we're totally okay with letting him have that honor. The last thing I'll say about Alston is this, with regards to Connor McDavid. I think we might get to a point. I mean, that's not to say Connor might not ever win a heart trophy. He'll win more heart trophies, I think. We might look at Connor McDavid and the Hart Trophy in a bit of a similar vein as we do with LeBron and the MVP in the NBA. In the fact that when LeBron was at his at his peak, uh, and there were still guys like Giannis and James Harden coming up and Russell Westbrook coming up, uh, like we all kind of know that LeBron, when he really wants to, is the best player in the world. But the guy who's doing really well that season you know, yeah, he should get love. Because otherwise, if we really were about it, we'd give LeBron MVP every year. I think that's just how we might view Connor McDavid in this. It's like, here's the thing. Austin Matthews, hell of a player, is able to work in all facets of the game. But I'm not convinced Austin Matthews can win a game like Connor McDavid can on his own. We talked about, you talked about going nuclear. Connor McDavid, I think, could do that. I don't, maybe this is a bit of a hot take. Austin Matthews can't do it in the same way Connor McDavid can. He no. cannot do it. He can do so many things that are great that make him a heart trophy winner. But if you're polling people to determine who's going to, who are you starting a franchise with between those two, there are a lot of people who I think are going to pick Connor McDavid because of his game breaking abilities. There are going to be people who are going to pick Austin Matthews as well. He's not going to get completely dusted, but we consider Connor McDavid generally as the best player in the game today. And I think what might eventually just happen, the narrative you know, on the theme of, of it being a narrative based award. Connor McDavid will always get that respect unless something drastic happens to him as the best player in the game. But 
yeah, we, we might kind of LeBron him in a way in the sense that other guys might just end up taking some MVPs from him because we don't want to give it to him every year. This could technically be part of that. I definitely think you're right. I mean, I think there are a lot of uh, parallels there. Um, but I, I feel like this award, it isn't who's the best hockey player on the planet. We know the best hockey no. player on the planet is Connor McDavid. If he was in the situation that Austin Matthews was in, I think he would probably outshine Austin Matthews in a way, although it's probably not the perfect match made in heaven partnership that he has with Mitch Marner, given that Mitch Marner is maybe the best passer in the game, aside from maybe Connor McDavid, and he's with the best sniper in the game, which is Austin Matthews. But if the the same sort of structure was around McDavid, I expect his excellence to lead to unbelievable results. But that's what this ward is about. It's your excellence contributing to the greater good. And when we compare about compare those two and what their seasons are having for the bigger picture, you can't really compare them. Yeah, the Leafs are third in their division, but top five team in the NHL, no doubt. At least I, I think a lot of people feel that way. But Austin, what Austin Matthews is doing is leading to these unbelievable things that we see with, you know, on track for franchise totals that we've never seen before, playing for the best line in hockey right now, with Michael Bunting and Mitch Marner, like what he's doing is contributing to something bigger on the, you know, on the team scale. And that's really part of the definition of the award is it's most valuable to team and team success. And uh, it's hard to argue against Austin Matthews right now, if you're basing it on that alone. Um, Let's go to that game between the Leafs and Red Wings that, uh, you know, it wasn't Austin Matthews. What's going on? (laughs) It wasn't necessarily Austin Matthews, uh, you know, saving his team, although he did get four points. It was more of the Mitch Marner show. But 17 goals in a 10-7 victory for the Leafs in Detroit. We saw three goaltender changes. We saw zero points for the struggling John Tavares. Jack Campbell in shambles for the Maple Leafs right now. A lot of things going on. And it was sort of the perfect encapsulation of this Leafs season right now where you know they've been so good and so successful but all of the sudden there's worry at multiple levels of the operation with the second line with John Tavares and William Nylander really struggling the defense which suddenly without Jake Muzzin and without Justin Hall playing at the level he did last year is pretty clearly looking for some answers and the biggest thing with the goaltending with neither Jack Campbell or Peter Mrazek playing well it was a very exciting and entertaining game it was one of the best third periods you could ask for when you're sitting at home on a Saturday night watching hockey but it should worry Lee fans because the issues were just exaggerated to this extreme level and to a level in which you cannot ignore them I know you were covering a different game that was happening simultaneously but when you saw the box score the reaction on Twitter and just what you've been witnessing out of Leafland recently, what's your case on all? What's your uh, take on all things Leafs right now? Boy, what the hell was going on? That was what I was saying the entire time. I was like sitting in the in the press box at the CTC, and like my my colleagues. Uh, shout out to the colleagues on the French side, like guys like Jean Francois Chamon and and Guillaume Depage. We're all like looking at the score. We're like, what the heck is going on? It wasn't like seven two at one point, and then they just kept scoring goals. The Red Wings are just coming back and i saw some of the i watched the video that went around on youtube of of, of steve dangle reacting to the third period <laughs> and I, I have to feel for him some of the goals that jack campbell were allowing were terrible abysmal yeah. 
Like if we saw that in a beer league, you'd be like, man, this guy sucks. Like Jack Campbell does. I don't know if it's a confidence issue. I don't know if something else is like a mental thing or just something else is off, but that is very concerning. It's funny because what in the bubble, we were talking about how Jack Campbell was this guy who just emerged and there was no other reason to consider any other goalie than this guy for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And then what happened happened, but Jack Campbell should not be in this position right now. He should, I mean, it was, it's pretty surprising to see that he was looking very shaky for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And if he's looking shaky and Peter Morazic is also not on solid ground. uh, I mean, that's a big question for me with the Toronto Maple Leafs going forward. I think already on defense, uh, the fact that they, they, we already know that's a, a point they need to uh, improve. Uh, Ilya Lubushkin is not going to save the Toronto Le- Maple Leafs defensive core. No. But if the D needs work and the goaltending needs work, I get it. They have their it's a team that's built on its offense, but they need defense and goaltending to get through to the playoffs. And if those two areas are going to do things like that, like what we saw against the Detroit Red Wings, uh, and I'm going to throw in that Canadians game as well, because that game against the Canadians, they did not they did not come out right. They did not look good. They were lifeless at too many points, and they cannot afford to do that, especially against a team that provided the embarrassment to them that they did last year. And Sheldon Keefe, before the game, did as best as he could to try to wake those guys up, and they still could not get a result out of that building. I have questions about the trauma. You mentioned people see them as a top-five team. There might be six. Like, they're not better than Vegas. They're not better than Colorado. Mm-hmm. They're not better than Carolina. They're not better than Tampa Bay. They're not better than Florida. I already named you five teams. Yeah. You're like on no, the outside fair. of the top five. What, what I would say, and it's another feather in Matthew's cap, and, and I use that sort of to defend Matthews or to build a case for Matthews, and I think it applies because he and Marner and that line are the only reason why they're still performing at near a top five level right now. And I think that's sort of the difference in, you know, the Hart Trophy discussion is that he's leading such incredible results because there are cracks forming in the foundation. And Matthews, Marner, and Bunting, they are the best line in hockey right now. I don't think it's really close. Uh, again, I'm not watching every every team every night. But if they were even the seventh best line, eighth best line, ninth best line in hockey over the last six weeks and not the first, not the best line in hockey, I don't know where the Maple Leafs would be because they've covered up so many of the concerns and they had to score what? Marner had four, Matthews had one, Bunting had one, six goals in order for them to eke by the Detroit Red Wings in that game because of what's happening in net and because of what's happening on defense and because of the struggles at other areas in the lineup. The second and fourth lines for the Maple Leafs have not been good now for two months, like Campbell, who hasn't been good for two and a half months, and Peter Morazic, who's not really been available for most of the season. There are certainly issues and... Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner with Michael Bunting pretty much collectively papering over them, which is, again, impressive and also concerning. But you mentioned the decor. Like, it's not the only issue. Goaltending clearly a problem right now. But what can you do? Can you admit fault? Can you admit that you made a mistake with Morazic, that you don't really have what you thought you had in Jack Campbell before the deadline? I don't know how you pull that off. But I think they're lining up to do something on defense because – Clearly, with Timothy Liljegren playing top line, top pairing minutes with Morgan Riley on Saturday night, that's not going to work in the future. But I feel like that's just setting the table elsewhere. Can Brody work with Hall? Because we, we can't acquire 2D 
we can only acquire one. So if we acquire one to play with Riley, maybe we got something between Hall and Brody until Muzzin comes back. I feel like they're just scrambling to figure things out here over the next month. They don't have much time left. Three weeks away from the trade deadline. Seems like the Leafs got to do a lot of things to keep their position as one of the top five, six, or seventh best teams because everybody else is building. looks like the Leafs are eroding a little bit. Um, I just want to double check something with you. And I actually have it, and I'm confirming it with you. You mentioned uh, well, Timothy Lilligren played with Morgan Riley. Both of them combined for no points. That pairing got no points. Justin Hall, who has looked shaky at different points, had three assists. Mm-hmm. Morgan Riley, who's supposed nice to be the one team's too. best. Def- Morgan Riley's supposed to be the team's best defenseman, and he got no points. Yeah, and it has and he, he was a minus two. Him and Lilligren were minus two. Lilligren was pulling the puck out of his net a lot. Like that's not a, that is that's is not something that you can look to in the future. Timothy Lilligren is not ready for top pairing minutes. They are one or two defensemen short. It's very very clear. And unless they get Jake Muzzin back, they might be three defensemen short. Like that's it is not a good situation right now. And they are getting by on the performances of Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner, who are playing the best hockey of their careers at this current moment. You got to be worried if you're a Leaf fan with what's going on right now. And you hope that Kyle Dubas comes to the determination that they need some serious help and that they don't work under the assumption that Jake Muzzin will be back. As we heard on 32 thoughts between the uh, the intermissions from Elliot Friedman saying that they're telling teams that they believe if Jack uh, or Jake Muzzin is capable to come back, he will come back. Again, we've talked about it. If you're not putting, if you're not taking the opportunity to put a guy on a LTIR to improve your team, then you're not trying hard enough. You're not trying as hard as Vegas. And if they bring Jake Muzzin back two weeks before the end of the season because they're doing it the right way, quote unquote, I mean, they're going into the they're going into the playoff shorthanded. Okay, uh, Kyle Dubas, pick up the phone and get a defender, man. <clears throat> Excuse me. Get uh, two. Pick up. Get two. Whether if it has to be Damon Severson. If it has to be Ben Sherratt, if it has to, you have to shell out and get John Klingberg. And I understand that maybe some people are like, no, eh, the defensive end, he's not that great, but he's got the offensive. Well, look, get John Klingberg if you can. Get uh, uh, Jacob Chitra in Arizona. Get somebody, somebody on defense, because what you have right now is not cutting it. And the Ilya Labushkin deal, we've said it before, it's it's not going to save this team. This guy's a third pairing defenseman. Get, you need help on defense. And look, if 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 Mrazek and Campbell still can't get that job done, you have to ask yourself a lot of questions before this year. I know on 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 zone time, I'll 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 make the not a joke, but like I'll I'll keep telling uh, Omar and Rahef, like, hey man, you know that playoff win, that playoff series win is coming, right? Don't worry, don't worry. I'd be worried now. Worry, yep. worry. I don't know if it's coming with the way that this team looks right now. Not to mention Florida, Tampa. I think even Boston, if they find a way as a wild card team, Toronto has to somehow play them or something like that's they, I think those three teams would win. It's going to be difficult. It's definitely going to be difficult uh, because they look so strong and they're still winning games. I mean, they've lost a few recently, but they're still winning games, but it's, it's clear how they're winning games. They're relying on two players and one line. And I don't know how sustainable that is. Uh, Let's go to the tire pumps. So Julian, after two hours in the car in a busy night in an interview with Chris Weidman, where he may or may not have given his, given his full attention, uh, you must need a little R and R. So let's move on to that. And you've, you sort of hinted at yours. So I'll go first, uh, giving you the chance to adjust uh, if need be. 
but I'll go with Isabel Kershedian, uh, who mm-hmm. was a Washington Capitals reporter for the Washington Post and is now on assignment, a foreign correspondent, I believe, stationed in Kiev um, or in the Ukraine. Uh, so, you know, this is the candy store sports, right? And yeah. she, she decided to leave the candy store to do some really meaningful work uh, on a on a international scale. Um, so uh, best wishes to her and hopefully the safety of her and all the reporters that are on the front lines working uh, in Ukraine and Russia right now. All the safety in the world. Uh, you know, the Washington Post is a cool place. Like shout out to Samantha Pell, who's a friend of the program, who is now the beat reporter for the Washington Capitals. Like you can kind of, it's cool how they do different things. Like you're not pigeonholed. You're not just the hockey reporter there. There's the opportunity to maybe start in high school and get up to the NHL, maybe go to the nationals or whatever. The sports room at the Washington Post seems like it's like beyond, uh, you know, comparison and like just up step above the most of the hockey reporting that's happening. Uh, and she's the product of that. And of course she took on a different assignment and we wish her, uh, the best because uh, she's doing something that's more important than hockey right now. Yeah. Uh, look, that's a really important tire pump. And, and yeah, I know uh, CJ on, on our show, the CJ show uh, gave her a stick tap and, and just wishes her to be safe. Uh, I'll just echo those sentiments as well. Uh, and just, you know, just hope that she's safe as she's covering the story, which will continue to develop. And while we will on our respective platforms, and of course, I'm sure on, on the, on the, on the Iowa sports hockey podcast, whenever we come together again, uh, continue to talk about this story as it develops. Uh, but yeah, it's, 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 it's the thing going on right now. It's a scary, scary situation. Uh, I feel for a lot of people in Ukraine who are, who are fighting for their lives and especially a lot of the older people who have to stay back and fight off what, what terror is coming to them. And for the reporters who are on site, just covering the story and bringing truth to power, it's, it's incredible work on their part and it shows an immense amount of bravery. And yeah, I, for Isabel, who was once one of us as a sports reporter now, essentially going into a volatile situation. Yeah. I did. It, it, it deserves more than, than a tire pump or a stick tap at this point. It's just, we just hope that she's safe and we just hope that she's able to do her job and, and, and get back to work after all this is done and just kind of go about her day to day and not be put into harm's way. Uh, I know I did kind of mention earlier that, that Matt and, and, and Shireen were, were people I think would be deserving of tire pumps or just doing it with them, uh, the Nash conference. Uh, but I'm just going to keep it with, with Isabel and just kind of end on that note. Cause I think uh, the work that she's doing and other journalists who are in Ukraine right now are doing is very important. Yep. Uh, that's well said. And, you know, all that we can really hope is those who do have some influence, do have power, do have ability to affect people's behavior and affect change can do their part because obviously we can't Absolutely. do anything in our setups right now. Uh, we can just hope for the best and hope those uh, that can do something, do it. And who are feeling a certain type of way uh, stop because this is uh, this is way, way beyond where we should be as a global society right now. Um, it's just unacceptable. Uh, and hopefully we don't have to talk about it moving forward that cooler heads, if you want to put it that way, do prevail. Uh, and uh, we get some sort of order and peace and, uh, you know, we can move past this. Um, 
beyond that, this is a hockey show. So we will we will leave it there. Uh, Julian, thanks for stopping by, getting home safe, joining me for another week. Again, we can plug it. Zone time. More Yahoo Sports Hockey podcast to come. We're three weeks away, I believe, from the trade deadline. There should be lots to talk about uh, on upcoming shows. I'm looking forward to it, bud. Likewise. And uh, no more war. And uh, please be safe. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 